I was on my second teaching round in a Melbourne high school. And I was about 20 minutes into a year 11 legal studies class uh, when this boy put up his hand and said, hey, miss, when are you going to start doing your speech? And I said, what speech? You know, I'd been talking to them about defamation law for a good 20 minutes. And uh, he said, you know, like your motivational speaking. You know, when people in wheelchairs come to school, they usually say, like, inspirational stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's usually in the big hall. <laughs> and that's when it dawned on me. This kid had only ever experienced disabled people as objects of inspiration. <laughs> we are not, you know, to this kid, and it's not his fault. I mean, that's true for many of us. You know, for lots of us, disabled people are not our teachers or our doctors or our manicurists. We're not real people. We are there to inspire. And in fact, you know, I'm sitting on this stage, looking like I do, in this wheelchair, and you are probably kind of expecting me to inspire you, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint you dramatically. I'm not here to inspire you. I'm here to tell you that we have been lied to about disability. Yeah, we've been sold the lie that disability is a bad thing. Capital B, capital T. It's a bad thing. And to live with disability makes you exceptional. It's not a bad thing. And it doesn't make you exceptional. And in the past few years, we've been able to propagate this lie even further via social media. You know, you may have seen images like this one. The only disability in life is a bad attitude. Hmm. Or this one, your excuse is invalid, indeed. Or this one, before you quit, try. Yeah. These are just a couple of examples, but there are a lot of these images out there. You know, you might have seen the one, the little girl with no hands, drawing a picture with a pencil held in her mouth. Uh, you might have seen a child running on carbon fibre prosthetic legs. Um, and these images, you know, there are lots of them out there. They are what we call inspiration porn. <laughs> <laughs> and I use the term porn deliberately because it, they objectify one group of people for the benefit of another group of people. So in this case, we're objectifying disabled people for the benefit of non-disabled people. The purpose of these images is to inspire you, to motivate you, so that we can look at them and think, well, however bad my life is, it could be worse. I could be that person. But what if you are that person? There it is, a TEDx talk. I'm not your inspiration, thank you very much, by Melbourne disability activist and comedian Stella Young from April of 2014. And to some extent, Stella is my inspiration not for the reasons she was warning us off, but she was an inspiration in the way that she could structure a TED talk. Even that small snippet shows a mastery of the TED form, the personal anecdote melding into the more general statements about society, uh, laughs throughout, and then the more general political point as well as that speech unfolds. It's been watched by 3.5 million views on the TED website, 
and it's over a million views on YouTube as well. So Stella Young, she was an incredible performer, an incredible thinker and writer as well. And sadly, we lost her at the age of just 32 in December of 2014. And as much as I'd love to make the TED talk the focus of an episode, I'm not doing that today. Today, the feature speech is the eulogy that was delivered for Stella Young by her great friend, Nellie Thomas, on December 19 of 2014 at the Melbourne Town Hall. As Nellie says memorably at the end of that eulogy, that girl was on a rocket to the moon, and she really was, and it's a great episode. We shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields. If you lay down with dogs, you get fleas. Fraud, sham, and hypocrisy. Change within the system. The hollow man of anger and bitterness all must be left to a bygone age. I understand victory. I understand sacrifice. Speak over. I may not get there with you. That we as a people will get to the promised land. With Tony Wilson. Hello everyone, welcome to the 2021 iteration of the Speakola podcast. I am Tony Wilson and I am back for a new year, fueled by some great off-season speaking, Joe Biden's inauguration, memorable speech, healing speech, Amanda Gorman's poem one of the most watched speeches that we've put up in the early parts of 2021. And if you do enjoy speeches generally, the Speakola website is a great resource. Over 2,500 speeches now up there in all sorts of categories and genres. Check out the debates and ideas, the eulogies, the birthday speeches, the political speeches, going all the way back from... Frederick Douglass speaking at the Chicago World Fair in the 1890s or Cicero, if you're into that sort of thing, Cicero's up there. Um, Or you just might want to watch someone else introduce a wedding. Maybe you've got to do one in the next few months and you want to read a few speeches delivered by people who have stood in those shoes before. So speakola.com, a great place to visit the podcast. The format of this podcast is that we invite a guest on the show. Usually it's the speaker of our feature speech, but it doesn't have to be. Had Frederick Logeval on last year talking about JFK's inaugural. Frederick's writing the JFK biographies. He's up to volume two at the moment. I think last year we had three Pulitzer Prize winners on, so you can check out those back episodes on the Speakola feed at your podcast provider. But the idea of the podcast is to have the interviewee on and then play the speech in full at the end of the episode. And I am quite proud of the fact that in this era of BuzzFeed top 10 lists, the Speakola podcast does look at the long-form speech. I do feel as though the world's moved away a little bit from long-form everythings, that we're stuck with clickbait and top 10 lists and scroll feeds that dash past the eye in a moment. And I actually despair when I see there are apps out there, I think one of them's called Blinkiest or Blinkist, where you don't have to read a book anymore, they'll read it for you and give you the top 10 points that you need to know from the leadership book. 
that probably had lots of big headings anyway, but now you don't even have to read the pretty easy to read big heading self-help book. Someone else will read it for you. Um, and that's the direction we're going. So the sense of the podcast is that we talk at length about a work of art and then we play that speech or work of art in full. And uh, I really was proud of it last year. I thought we had some great episodes. So we do have a podcast sponsor and it is the same sponsor as last year. They're back. Green Skin and Purple Skin Avocados. Greenskin and Purple Skin Avocados are committed to sharing and spreading the love of avocados. They want you to walk into the supermarket and think, I know what I'm going to put into this basket first. I'm going to put in the Prince of Fruit, the Queen of Fruit, the perfect Greenskin or Purple Skin Avocado. Perfect on the outside, perfect on the inside, and perfect because they care all the way from picking the right soil structure, to nurturing the seedlings in the greenhouses, to planting the plants, picking the crops with their special gentle avocado caressing picking machines, putting them in the trucks with very trained people who know not to bruise them and then getting them onto the shelf. So Green Skin and Purple Skin Avocados, check them out at greenskinavocados.com.au. And with the blessing of our one sponsor, they said, I can look for a second sponsor. So if you want to have that sort of animated spruik done for your business or product this year, there is room for one more ad in the Speakola podcast. So get in touch with me, Tony at TonyWilson.com.au. If you're interested in getting on board for Series 2 second year of the Speak Ola podcast and I imagine we'll be doing an episode about every fortnight that's the plan and so it'll run to around about 20 episodes in 2021. Well let's get on with this episode as I mentioned in the pre-show it is about Stella Young. I played a little of the TED talk in the pre-show but she was a phenomenon. I had a very brief exchange with her in the ABC cafeteria in about 2013, I had the chance to talk to her at the time about my son, Jack, who was two and is now nine. And she commanded me with the responsibility of doing everything I could to make the world better for him and to encourage him to have a voice in making the world better for himself. She dropped about four F-bombs in the process and made me laugh very hard on several occasions. She was that sort of a person and we'll absolutely get that sense in this wonderful chat with her great friend, Nellie Thomas, who directed her debut comedy festival show, Tales from the Crip, in 2014, for which Stella won Best Newcomer at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Nellie herself is no stranger to comedy success. She was the winner of Raw Comedy in 2003. For nearly two decades, she's been a fixture of the Australian comedy and writing and radio scenes. She's had solo shows. Nellie Thomas is Not a Yummy Mummy is one that comes to mind. She's written books, What Women Want. She's also written picture books, great picture books ones that are particularly popular with my daughter Alice, who's five at the moment. Some boys, some girls, some brains, and some kids, which celebrates the diversity of kids, the differences amongst kids. And 
and really makes kids feel as though whatever they are, it's okay. And they're a fantastic addition to the world of children's literature. And you can buy them from Nellie Thomas's website. So get in touch with her there. And while you're there, you might even be able to help her with the title of her adult book she's writing, which is called Some Mums Are Fat Moles. She is a comedian after all. How you spell moles has actually uh, occupied her brain to some extent over recent times. Do you go with M-O-L-L-S or do you go with M-O-L-E-S? It's the gangster mole versus Kylie mole debate. In Australia, it's a bitter divide and you have to work out which side of that you fall on. Although not in this interview because we are very much dedicated to the memory of a great Australian, and I think over time we've realised just how great she was. Stella Young, born 1982 in Stall, died in December of 2014 in Melbourne, and she changed the world. Spicola. <laughs> Tony Wilson, confession. Okay, confession time. I am interviewing Nellie Thomas for the second time because just before Christmas last year, I did a brilliant interview about a speech Nellie gave, a eulogy for her great friend, Stella Young. I took the little SD card out of the recorder thinking, what an episode this is going to be. I put the SD card into the computer and it said, error with SD card, do you want to format it? <laughs> <laughs> and of course you said, no, I do not. I did say no. And then I went on to all sorts of forums about how oh, the dear. interview will be buried deep in there. And if you pay oh, 45 bucks, you can, you can give it sort of CPR, SD card CPR. We did that for a while. And I just started singing, let it go, let it go. <laughs> Tony, you were disproportionately mortified. I was. Like, I have been down this road before. You know, you can't be a performer writer and not have, like, not saved a file or, you know, colossally stuff something up. It's perfectly fine. Twice is a charm. And you did say straight away, well, come back. Yeah. And have another coffee. And we'll do it again. Let's do it. And here we are. We're doing it again. What a speech. One of my all-time favourites. Oh. Um, when we were compiling... Speakola in the first year, it was one of the first that went up and one of the really popular ones. So it's a thrill to be doing Thank this today. You. Well, it, it was, it's a thrill for me too. I remember being told, I can't remember because you and I didn't know each other then. I can't remember if someone contacted me. I think it was someone else contacted me and said that you were on radio talking about your two favourite speeches and mine was one of them, my eulogy for Darling Stella. And I was really chuffed, really chuffed. I was like, because you don't think of, you don't think of, I don't know, the quality of of something like that because it's not the time and place. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not about, a funeral's not about showing off your public speaking tricks. It's about trying to convey, you know, the beauty of someone's life. But to hear that was really lovely. Well, that's it. It becomes a secondary consideration, yes. doesn't it? Because everything is always about the love and about the moment and about making yep. the event as special as it deserves to be. And really, 
what you've done in terms of structure or delivery. I mean, yeah. who, who gives a... Who cares? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I knew because Stella was a performer and had done a lot of public speaking, a lot of radio. I mean, we met on, um, you know, via ABC Radio where we were both working. I did have in my mind, like I knew it had to be befitting a public speaker of her calibre. I knew it had to, you know, the structure and the tone and all those sorts of things were important but the main thing was the emotional connection. Well, take us back to meeting because uh, yeah. I do like these interviews to be something more than the structure <laughs> and the tone and, and the language of the speech. So but how did yeah. this, this beautiful relationship start? Um, so we met uh, at ABC Studios and she – I mean, I'm, I don't know if I'm remembering this correctly because you know how your memories of someone who has gone merge – so, I know I've been walking down the street with Stella before and she was in a motorised wheelchair and she was quite partial to beeping people, you know, who wouldn't get out of the way or walking too slow or whatever. And that's my memory of meeting her, but I, I reckon I've merged it, if you know what I mean. I think of her at ABC Studios hooning around, basically, in her chair, the old ABC Studios, 774. So we met there, we did a couple of gigs together because she was starting in, in stand-up and I'd already been in stand-up for quite a while by then and I don't know, we just really clicked. We just have a similar sense of humour. She was, I mean, an amazing disability activist but she was just so, am I allowed to swear? Yeah. Yeah, she's just fucking funny, you know, quite a dark sense of humour. I think both of us probably bonded over the fact that if I do have your reputation, it's probably for being quite earnest and I am quite earnest um, and so is she, but we're both actually probably cheekier and naughtier than you'd expect. And do you remember a first let's go out together or let's chat on the phone at home or was there a sort of a, a blossoming of the friendship? Or I was think it-, it would have been after gigs, you know what I mean? It would have been, oh, we've just both done a gig. And she used to, I mean, it's hard to talk about this with, without sounding up yourself, but she would ask me advice, I guess, because I had been around um, longer and in a way we were trying to do similar kinds of things with our work because I had done a lot of work in very non-traditionally funny areas. So I did, you know, a show for 10 years called The No Men's No Show, which was a comedy show for teenagers about sexual assault and consent and safe sex and relationships. So how do you merge those things? And I think the same with Stell, like how do you talk about disability politics? How do you talk about politics in general? Things that aren't traditionally associated with stand-up. I guess she would ask me uh, advice or guidance and, and later on me of her about how to do that. And you ended up having that professional relationship as well. I mean, you went you went on tour with her. Yes, yeah. So we we toured a bit, um, and I so I ended up directing her first and unfortunately last show at the comedy festival, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, for which she won Best Newcomer. Um, so we worked, and that was the year that she died, actually. So we had worked really intensively together. I mean, daily in that year and obviously during the festival itself spent sort of every night together I would sit through her show she would sit through my show we'd sit backstage together I think one of my favorite memories of Stell is that she wanted in that show to I mean I think it was 
it was half joking, but she wanted to like enter stage. This is Northcote Town Hall. Enter stage on a wrecking ball to Miley Cyrus's She Came In Like a Wrecking Ball. Now, if you know Stella, she was small. She was short statured. She had very fragile frame. And the idea that she would come in, you know, as a wrecking ball, like it literally would have killed her. Um, So (laughs) that's the kind of thing I mean. Like she was just very, very funny in that sense. You know, that's the kind of thing that a lot of people would never suggest to someone like her. Like wouldn't it be offensive to even raise the prospect of your bones breaking. So, no, I sat backstage and laughed and my rib broke. You know what I mean? Like, I can talk about this shit. So, yeah, that was a long answer, wasn't it? What about the the tone of the show? Like, even Tales from the Crip. Yes. Um, and I noticed the word Crip gets used in the eulogy and, yes. and that it was adopted by Stella. It's, it, but it was the sort of word that I would... Not use, use, you know, like it's yeah. that. Um, what was the tone of the show? Was it was it sort of claiming that sort of language? Absolutely, absolutely. So the, we spent a lot of time talking about, because it was controversial for her to use the word crip or cripple. She, she wasn't completely immune to the criticism about that. It's not like she just went, oh, fuck it, I can call myself what I want. But for her, it was a very conscious decision in much the way that I guess queer is a word that's been embraced for the LGBTQ plus community. For her, it was the same. It's just like, no, I don't like, she had a whole bit in the show about we used to be people with disabilities and then we were the disabled and then we were differently abled and then we were like challenged and then we were special needs and there was a great bit about special K being shit and special being a code for shit. You know, all of this (laughs) stuff. Like she just really attacked it head on and just went, I don't give a shit. I'm a crippled woman and I embrace the disability community. I love the disability community. Like, take me as I am. And that language, I mean, she's using it, you know, to be funny. And, yeah. Uh, but, but you probably could offend her as well if you use the wrong expression. Oh, of right? course. Of co- yeah. And I think it's a really, you know, this perennial discussion we have, language is context. Quite frankly, for you or I to say cripple, out of context is absurd and offensive in the same way that if someone yells at you from a car, oh, you faggot, that's a completely different thing to two gay friends saying to each other, oh, come on, fag. You know, it's a completely different thing. You cannot say that that is the same thing. It's different coming from Stella Young saying tales from the crip than if you screamed at her from a car, oh, you're cripple. Or you got on the radio and referred to her as a cripple or something like that. Did you ever see that that her having to respond to oh, uh, to the wrong term being used or an offensive label? Absolutely, all the time. I think she was usually well. It depended, as most humans, it depended on her mood and it depended on the intention of the person as she read it. One of my favourite interactions with her it was actually at a party at my place and another really well-known, lovely male comedian and the three of us were having a drink and having a chat and he said something, something retarded. And <laughs> the air just like sucked out of it. And I thought, I'm not saving you. Like there's no there's – no, and Stella just sort of looked up at him and went – do you want to have another go at that? <laughs> Which in that moment, and I'm not suggesting that everyone, that you can be gracious every time that happens because you can't. And if there was venom in it and all of the rest of it, like 
that's not always going to work. But in that moment was perfect because he knew that he'd done something wrong and he did correct himself. Forgive me for that shaking. That was my dog shaking then. He did correct himself. He did apologise. And I would, I don't know this for sure, but I doubt he's used that word again. It's interesting. I mean, people often just don't know what to say. I remember being told on air by a disability activist to not say disabled person, that it's it's person with disability. Yes. Um, And obviously you've told us that that, um, Stella could laugh at that confusion and the nuance. Yeah. I think she was, as I hope I am and lots of people that I respect are, very conscious of the importance of language. You know, there's got to be some middle ground where you can't just say it doesn't matter. That's bullshit. Language absolutely matters and it does. It's, you know, I used to do a whole bit, for example, which I won't go into, but about the word slut. That That is a word that I find probably the most stinging because it's a word I've been on the other end of. That it's a word that almost any teenage girl has been on the other end of and been crushed by. So I don't... I don't subscribe to this, oh, it's all too woke and we've all gone to PC and words are just fine. That's bullshit. Words really can hurt. But then there's the other extreme as well where language is contested and it's contextualised. And I do think somewhat controversially that intention matters. You know, if someone is really trying, really trying to be respectful and they get it wrong or they have a different opinion from you, that's a very... For me, it's forgivable, absolutely forgivable. Can I give you an example? I interviewed on my own podcast a fantastic disability activist called Christy Forbes, who's an who's an autism activist, and and we talked about these language debates because I have an autistic child, and she herself, who is an autistic woman, she gets regular correspondence telling her you should refer to yourself as a person with autism you should you know person first language but she's like excuse me I am autistic like I can identify however I'm not telling you what to do that's the level of absurdity where I start to go this has gone mad she can do what she wants frankly so you have this uh, amazing relationship with with this great friend, and then mm. and then there's just the devastation. Yeah, um, and you can hear that devastation when you break down in the f- first seconds of the eulogy. Can you tell us about you know finding out about this news? Um, what happened? So I got a call from her manager um, or her management company to tell me you know that she died. And, of course, like anyone, I mean, my first, I was just completely in shock because she was very young. She was, you know, in her early 30s. I think it's important to say in this context too, and this might be weird for anyone not in disability space, but she didn't die from her disability. And I feel like that kind of needs to be corrected because there's such a, her whole life was dedicated to challenging this doom and gloom narrative about disability. And I think when she died, people just assumed that it must have been connected to her disability. And it actually wasn't. It was just luck of the draw. It so, was just one of those things. No, I was definitely of, of the that mistaken opinion yeah. that, that there was some life-shortening element to her disability. And, yeah. And well, and there could have been otherwise, but it wasn't this. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So that's what I, I find that interesting. And I would have been the same if I didn't know her. You know, but I think that in itself, speaking of her life's work, 
that tells us something about what our prevailing narratives of disability are. You know, because if, if you receive a message saying that I've died, Tony, you won't automatically assume it's because of any particular reason. You'll go, Just How'd the you cigarettes die? you had at the, yeah. the caravan last week. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Thank you so much for mentioning that. Um, but you know what I mean? Like it's the assumptions that are made are part of what she was challenging. Another thing that people don't know, and I won't go into, you know, great detail about this, but the, the night that she died, she was on a date. You know, she was on a date with with a dude. And even that, it's like, how often do we hear about, you know, people with disabilities in the media? We might hear them as activists. Um, We might hear a problem with the NDIS or whatever it is, like something hard. How often do we hear, God, this girl's out. Like she she was on a date every Friday night. She was out for dinner. You know, she's having a drink. She did like... It was actually, if you're going to go out, it was a lovely way to go, if I can put it that yeah. way. Yeah. I mean, the poor guy, like, what a what a difficult thing to go through. He was lovely too. But it was interesting being at that event. So, the memorial itself, like, it wasn't a normal funeral because she'd had an extraordinarily, li- uh, extraordinarily life. It was at the Melbourne Town Hall. You know, it was live streamed on TV and at Fed Square and... There were incredible speakers at the at the event. There was, I don't know, a thousand people at least, plus her family. Like there was a whole range of things going on in that room. And you're asked to be a part of it. I mean, how does that happen? Yeah. So her um, one of her best friends, a lovely guy called Bryce Ives, um, who had worked a lot with her and knew her personally, worked with her management company and I guess they kind of coordinated the whole thing because it started off being, oh, we need to have a funeral, we need to have a memorial, and then we suddenly realised, I guess they suddenly realised very quickly that it was going to be a a really big event. And so they basically put together a, a suite of speakers, including beautiful Stella Barton, who was a young disability activist who spoke on the day and... Her, uh, Graham Innes. Yeah, it was uh, beautiful. Uh, Stella Barton's speech is, is up on Speak On Speak as well. As well yes, yeah. It's a great speech. And that, well, she was a mentor. You know, Stella Young was a mentor to Stella Barton because I think Stella Barton would have been, what, maybe 17, 18 at the time, something like that, teenager, young woman with disability. Graham Innes, who'd been the disability commissioner. Bryce spoke, I spoke. Waleed Ali hosted it, a bit of an ABC kind of connection. Yeah, and, you know, Claire Bowditch sang and so it was a – there was a lot I, – I think – I didn't put together the lineup, but I think they were trying to almost convey through the people on stage how diverse Stella's life and work life was. So, so you're, asked to, you're asked to do this job and what, mm. what's the next step? How do, you, how do you try to build this thing? I started – just like I probably do with most things, actually, I just started with the feeling. So what kind of feeling do you want to convey? It's a weird thing, that eulogy. Like, I mean, being a professional speaker and writer, like I'm used to labouring over things and thinking about every word and word placement. And I don't know, it just fell out of me. It kind of didn't, I didn't have to think very much about it. I'm not a spiritual person, but if I were, I would. It's almost like she was writing it, honestly. Like it just kind of, I literally, there was no effort. 
Does that sound weird? No, because I've done one. Right. It just and it took four hours, and it's the yeah. best, best thing I've ever done. You know, it so just came out, and it just felt. I mean, I tinkered with it a little bit, and probably with the jokes mostly, um, what jokes to include, and things like that. But in terms of the structure and sort of the basic premise and all that kind, of, just bleh, out it came. Do you remember being? I, I just remember bawling writing mine, like the, mm. that it was this. That as the words went down, it was some sort of realization that it. This was real, you know. We're mm. in the kind of disbelief of, of losing of a friend. A, um, did you find it to be a a kind of a difficult few hours, or, or did, did gee, you? That's that's interesting. No, I laughed. Yeah. I was laughing the whole time. I didn't real. I did not cry until I got on stage. Yeah. So from the moment that I found out about Stella dying, I then had that responsibility, I guess, in the comedy community to tell people. So I then had to get on the phone and start telling other colleagues or like people at comedy festivals, maybe see people. What I I kind of took that role on. So plus I was writing writing her eulogy. So I was in action mode, I yeah. think. And then once we actually got to when I watched it back, you know, before I spoke to you last time, and I thought, oh wow, I look so tired. Mm. You know, I look really sort of tired and emotional, but I hadn't felt that. I think I'd just sort of numbed out and gone into action. And then when I got up, I unexpectedly felt really emotional, honestly. And, and you start, did you do the comedian trick of, of, of having a little ad lib to start the eulogy? I mean, it feels that way that, you're, that yeah. your absolute opening to the eulogy is about how much Stella would love love it love it did you did you have, I hadn't written that if no. that's what you mean no I just got up and I think I can't remember but I I imagine I know when I normally do that's because I'm trying to settle myself I reckon I might have got up and just gone oof okay I'm actually because I'm used to getting up and speaking and feeling in command and I didn't feel in command so what did, what did the room look like? Huge, massive. I mean, I'd, I've performed at the town hall before, you know, so you, you look out, there's bright lights. I think, I don't know, 1,200 people, something like that. I was really conscious that up to the top left, you know, in the balcony was Stella's family and then down to the right on the floor, I'm getting goosebumps even talking about this, down to the right on the floor, there were a whole heap of people from the disability community and then sitting right next to them was John Fane. <laughs> I remember going and then a whole range of other, you know, comedians that I knew, um, civilians as we call them, like a whole range of people and then TV cameras. I knew I had... Stella Barton behind me, Graham Innes had just spoken. There were so many different um, audiences, I guess. Uh, the main one that I was focused on was Stella's family and the disability community. That, that's who I wanted to talk to. Well, it's funny you mentioned the, the different audiences because that becomes your first job, really, of the yes. written speech is, yes. is to say, is to include. Basically, you tick them off and yep. and the first one you tick off is Stella's family and that's, yep. that's actually when you break down. That's when I think yes. maybe the unexpected tears come. Yes. Uh, can you describe that? That is actually the thinking about like – the two, the two most emotional parts for me were for obviously her family because, you know, I'm a mum. 
the thought of like losing your child there i mean i i can't even i can't even grasp that level of pain and i knew she was so close with her mum in particular her dad as well and her sisters as well but they as you would know like having i think a child with disability still was you know she would talk about the fact that her and her mum, like all the drives from stall to the Royal Children's, like how much time they must have spent together, you know, when she had operations and broken bones and, you know, the various things that were, were related to a disability. Her childhood was spent a lot more time with her mum than probably most kids. So they were like really, really tight. I was very conscious. Like there were some really bawdy stories about Stell that I would love to have included in the eulogy because part of going back to her show there was a lot of sexual content and that was actually a really conscious decision for both of us as well to kind of go for a woman with disabilities a visual disabilities visible disabilities to speak about being an adult and a sexual adult is a political act in itself because those women are so desexualized, So I would have loved to put that in the eulogy, but I thought, your mum doesn't want to hear that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, your dad doesn't yeah. want to hear Like So they are first and foremost. The joke is not as important yeah. as your mum and dad. So, And then the second one was I just knew what she meant to the disability community. She just meant, and still does, just like a queen, yeah. You know, and I could just see the pain, the pain of like losing her. When Kelly, who was one of the other speakers, spoke about just how often people in the disability community have to say goodbye with reduced life expectancy across the board. Oh, that really hit me in the heart. You know, yeah. just that idea. And to say goodbye to her, who'd been one of the few people with disabilities to really break through into the mainstream media. Yeah. And be such an amazing advocate. Oh, that so hurt. She had become, and as you say, still is. She's mm. probably the most visual yeah. um, and visible and articulate and and funny. I yes. think it was that sort of element of the comedian crossing yeah. over to the activist. If you, she, yes. did, she did both the TED Talk and the comedy festival show. That's right. Um, that's right. And... Yeah, that's a big one, isn't that's it? That's a big and, – and that's what part of the reason she was so successful because she could sit on Insight. I don't know if you ever saw that episode of Insight. She could sit on Insight with, you know, a, a scientist slash ethicist, whatever, talking to her about how basically she shouldn't exist and have that kind of conversation about geneticism. Is geneticism a word? You know, Darwinianism, all yeah. of that kind of stuff. She could have that conversation – and she could get up and she could do a joke about Crips on boats, you know, yeah. and sometimes in the same conversation. You know, she could be in an interview with, uh, I don't know, a John Fain it would have been at that time and have him say something a bit off and, you know, call him a silly old dad. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Or whatever it is. But love him and him love her and all that sort of stuff. So she could do that crossover and very few people, very few, and I've been in a lot of activist spaces for different issues. Not many people can do it. Yeah. And so you then had, I guess, a gift for a writer in that Stella herself had written a piece that's uh, it's really an iconic piece of writing. It's um, a letter to a... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, a letter. I sh- you're the one who's meant to cry in this yeah. interview, by the way. Oh, um, I'm on the edge of it. <laughs> Um, a letter to her 80-year-old self. Yeah. And um, 
yeah, obviously that that becomes incredibly difficult to read and also poignant yeah. given what you're going through that week. Yeah. So um, yeah. can you talk about that letter and how it then, you know, it sparks the idea for the rest of the eulogy really? Yeah, I think it's – I really wanted – I wanted to like convey the essence of her, you know, so – if I when I think of Stella, I think funny and defiant. So in a way, and that's kind of what that letter is. You know, you all think I'm not going to make it past twenty. You know, fuck you. Here's a letter to my eighty year old self. And in a way, when I received the news that she died, I wanted to go fuck that. She's not dead. You know. So the whole eulogy was built around the idea of me imagining what what would have happened next because she really was on an, a massive upward trajectory in terms of career and influence and so on. She was already very influential but, you know, she had just been to the States and done this, I don't know, 100 future leaders in the world, Michelle Obama, thing. I can't remember. You know, she was doing all of these amazing things. So the idea was for me to go, nah, I refuse to accept in the way that she did. I refuse to accept this world as it is. I refuse to accept a world without Stella Young in it. So I, I'm going to write what would have happened, you yeah. know, and create this sort of imaginary world where she does go on to kind of pretty much run the world, you know, which is sort of what she was on her way to doing. She certainly, I mean, how rare is it? She bloody did change the world. Like yeah. I think you said to me when we were talking about it before you know, was it kind of, did you think twice about sort of saying, you know, most people, we say everyone's special, like at a funeral, we say everyone's remarkable, but they're not really. But I just thought, but it's just true, isn't it? Like, that's just a fact, myself included. Like, most of us are just going to kind of be here for a bit and be gone, boop. Yeah. You know, Stella, still, we're still talking about her. And and not only that, I think that, the, the TED Talk in particular, for someone, so I'm, I'm a dad of a kid with cerebral palsy and and so my attitudes, I hadn't had a lot of disability um, associations yeah. prior to becoming a dad of someone with cerebral palsy and and I guess the the term inspiration porn that is used mm. in that talk, which which is really talking about why is it that when a guy rolls out on the voice yeah. and delivers a fantastic operatic piece. He sang mm. sang brilliantly. Mm. But why is the, all the judges standing crying? Mm. Like mm. why are they crying? Mm. Um, it's this mm. sort of element of of an over the top reaction, a, a an emotional outpouring. It's patronising. It's patronising. It's it's intent. Going back to intention, and this is where it gets murky. Their intention's not bad. You know, they're not trying to – I mean, I'm, I love Delta. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like their intention's not bad. They're not trying to be. But we have to change this narrative. It's patronising. Why can't you just treat that kid like an, any other person? You know, Stella would be – and I've been with her when people would literally come – strangers would come up and go, it's so good that you're out of the house. <laughs> it's so good. In fact, she had a great piece in the um, comedy festival show – where she was talking about she would reverse the roles between her and I and she would be like, 
say to me, are you out with your carer? <laughs> you know, is she, is she brought you out today. And she did a great piece about walking and how it was overrated. You know, and look at Burke and Wills. Look how long they worked. That didn't work out for them. <laughs> did that? You know, she would try and flip that stuff. So imagine, Tony, if you or I got up. Imagine if I got up. I started in comedy and raw comedy. Imagine if I got up on stage and did a comedy set that I'd laboured over and, you know, worked really hard on and was really nervous and then the judges stood up crying because isn't it so nice that a girl's given it a go? Yeah. Isn't that so sweet? Oh, my God, can you believe it with their little confidence? <laughs> I mean, you'd want to punch them, wouldn't you? So she was tra- trying to really challenge that stuff and that TED Talk has made all of us think differently, I think. It really, think. It really has. So that transformed the way I thought and it makes me see – the the inspiration porn. Yeah. And having said that, there are times still, you know, where my son is is where I where I allow him to be an image that will have an inspiring effect on people. Sure. So, for example, you know, he, my son went to a Bruce Springsteen concert on yes. my back as a five year old. Yes. And it, it had undue um, interest, so it went mm. around the world as an image. Here's mm. the here's a young Bruce Springsteen fan, mm. and and the story of how he got there and his fear of noise and all that is yeah. tied into an overall emotional arc. Mm. And so, to some extent, I I think of Stella when I'm mm. observing that that emotional Reaction. response. But I, you know what's great in that? I think of Stella. Like to me, this is the point. Is not that there's a right or wrong. It's not that she. I don't think if I can boldly speak on her behalf, say, oh, you shouldn't have had a picture of Jack, but she, you know, on your back at a Springsteen, Springsteen concert, think about what's the image, how's it being read, why is it being read, can I intervene in that conversation, what do I want out of this exchange? I want to Whereas, make Springsteen. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> we, we, we got pretty close. Whereas, you know what, pre, yes, exactly, pre-Stella or pre this kind of disability pride movement of which she is one example, pre that, it would have been an uncritical, isn't it so lovely that that dad's taken his little disabled boy to a concert? Yeah. It, that would have, no one would have even questioned that except people with disabilities themselves. Yeah. Whereas now, even if you still have some responses to that, they're not universal. And that you can, we have an opportunity to read it differently. I know I keep coming back to it, but it's the same with the conversation about people with disabilities and sexuality. Such an alien topic. Complete. Why? Because they're infantilized, you know, and turned into children. And I think that's starting to change now. To go, no, you're talking to a bloody adult. You're talking to a human being. And yes, part of that is sexuality, work, friends, fights. I like this person, I don't like that one, gossip, all this stuff that's part of human existence. With imagining what Stella would achieve in her life and what she would do in her life, another great mechanism there was to be able to re-articulate the things that she was striving for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ramps everywhere. Yeah. An end to cobblestones. Yes. Yes. Uh, even, I mean, even like one of my favourite jokes of hers, because she was quite a staunch atheist and 
part of the reason for that, I think, is because she was so sick and tired, honestly, of people praying for her to be, like, cured as though she wanted to be cured and that praying would work. But one of my favourite jokes about hers is, you know, something along the lines of it became an atheist the day I worked out that it was a stairway to heaven. Yeah. You know, um, and she was very, which I really related to, was really opposed to one of a relatively recent narrative of positive psychology in relation to um, the disability community, community in general, really. And she just cut through the bullshit, you know, no, no amount of smiling at a ramp. At a, at a flight of stairs will turn it into a ramp. I can't get in the building, mate. You're telling me to have a good attitude. If you just have a really lovely attitude, you'll feel heaps better. Yeah, but I can't get in. Yeah. Like, let's talk about the reality of cobblestones or Fed Square or what. look at it from my point of view. Yeah. What's lovely, though, I will say, so Graham Innes, um, and I don't want to speak on his behalf, but he spoke at Stella's funeral as well. And he's probably more in that camp. Like he definitely does do sort of positive attitude kind of stuff. And they had fantastic debates. I think I think he referenced it in his eulogy. They would fight about that stuff. They've had, and they were still great mates. And and that was a gift as well that she had so many funny lines that you could yes. just you could just quote her for a bit of a eulogy. Oh, for sure. Absolutely, just pick – because I knew her show probably as well as her, you know, by the time the show was on. So to be able to pick some of those things out and in a, on a big stage, because, again, if you think she wants – I want and she wanted her words to have reach and influence. So for the people watching to not just go, oh, that poor little disabled woman that I saw on Q&A died, go, no, 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 no. You're not, I'm not leaving you with that memory. I'm going to leave you with, you know, her getting a boyfriend then dropping him because he's too needy and her having becoming the president and her, you know, mandating ramps throughout the world and her like this, a vision of what, of what the world could be. I noticed and I actually wondered in this era of culture war, the, the sort of backhanded slap you gave to one of the um, <laughs> well wishes or, or, or I don't yeah. know, one of the condolence movers mm. um and did i well, did, did i though tony <laughs> well i think um and no, i totally did he was a prominent south australian politician <laughs> who wasn't going to pine over it i yes, think is what you said yes. at some point um was there a feeling i guess it's a sensitive area that yeah. you know the whole idea of being able to express mm. condolence mm. versus political view and you could say well politics might be this arena mm. but the death of an individual is is something different did, mm. did you feel it was kind of do you feel it was rough to give him a backhander no 100 percent not i think if it was a private funeral 100 percent it would be rough like if it was a private funeral for 100 family and friends you don't go oh and uncle bob you know caught her a cripple at christmas in 1987 like that's just an asshole move yeah. you know but this is a public figure and as far as I know, Christopher Pine had never met Stella and so we're talking, we're not talking about a personal relationship, we're talking about a relationship between two public figures and she would have been irate that he even weighed in, I reckon, on, on her death and talked about her. I can't remember exactly what he said but it was in the vein of being inspirational. So both in the tone of his description of her death, but even the connection, 
what he represented in terms of um, disability politics and in terms of the sort of neoliberal individualistic agenda for which she fought her entire life, I, I had to mention it. And Do it, you think it was wrong? No, I don't. I think it was. I just I wanted to hear your reaction to yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm quite happy to be challenged. But I just felt as two public figures, like I say, private funeral, different story. But two public figures, the you know he represents a, an ideology that was against the NDIS, that is against you know that that defunded group homes and all sorts of other problematic stuff to do with the disability community. She wouldn't have been happy. I would say that, that the Liberals claim that they implemented the NDIS. They but, do. But the um and and in a timeline sense that is correct. Yes. Um however people like me have written letters to Julia Gillard thanking her for the correct. NDIS because she made it happen with her with her drive. And she And still, wasn't it Jenny Macklin's idea? I think it was. Yeah. But yeah. Julia Gillard won't come on my podcast despite this. Oh, how dare you, love Julia? For her. But, and the point I mean, you don't have to be a, a political scientist to know that the ideology that Christopher Pine subscribes to is not about a public scheme. It's practically socialist, the NDIS, Tony, you know, Medicare, all of those sorts of things. That is not from their side of politics. In terms of the feedback from the room, it, it sounds like it was going well at this point. Like in mm. terms of lots of laughs because of this yes. imagining of this amazing life, and and I think it. I hope anyway, it offered a bit of relief to have a bit of laughter. I think it was befitting her that there was laughs in it. I could certainly see. Again, my focus was on a lot of the people in disability community who, by nature of being in wheelchairs and so on, were down the front. So I could see them and they were laughing and crying, you know, at the same time, which is exactly how I felt. Responses were interesting. I think I'll start with the worst. The worst was a fellow comedian saying to me, you know, this is the biggest gig of the year. <laughs> you know, how come I can't speak? Uh. And me just going, A, I don't decide who speaks, but also to refer to this as a, like, it's un, I still can't actually get past that, to be honest. And at the best, just having, oh, now you make me tear up, but one of um, Stella's friends just, like, come up to me after and just, oh, just give me that kind of hug that was like, you, you got this right. Do you know what I mean? Like, you got it right. It's what, what we – this was a um, woman from the disability community who I know quite well. I could just tell that I got it right for her, for them. I think I referred to the community in the eulogy as like a warm blanket, you know, because that's – when she talked – when Stella talked about the disability community, it was it was like she was talking about her family. It's like they sustained her. They were everything. So I wanted them to be happy. And And – Obviously, you work without a script a lot of the time. You know the jokes. You've got routines. Mm. You're proficient and you tell jokes like the ones that you were telling in, in, in the eulogy for a living. Was there any temptation to bring those ad-lib skills or at least those no-script skills yep. to the event? There was a temptation, but I MC a lot, so I'm hard-ass about time. <laughs> so, And I knew that with emotion, time can get away from you, and I also knew it was being broadcast. 
So I was really conscious. Even then, I think I actually went a minute and a half or two minutes over, which doesn't sound like a lot, but he's in a TV context. So I just, I, I think that's indulgent, you know. So I, I made myself not do that. And, and was there also a, a sense that it had to be kind of perfect or as perfect as it could be? Not so much that, honestly. It was more to do with the time. And I would say if we're going to talk about technical proficiency in terms of um, being a speaker and so on, because I guess a lot of people listening to this, that's one of the reasons they like it. Like, don't go over time. Don't be an asshole. Seriously. Like, the amount of times I, I mostly MC these days, actually, a range of different events. And I'm really hard-ass about time because I think if you are on first or second or third and you go 5, 10, 15 minutes over or more in some cases, what happens is the people at the other end lose their time. You are literally taking time from them, whether it's a funeral, whether it's a wedding, whether it's a conference, it, it kind of doesn't matter. It's not your time. Like, do it properly. Go under. Yeah. You know, if, you, if you're in doubt, go under. And then I guess you had to to wind this up. Like you've mm. done the this incredible life not lived. Yeah. There's a dagger element to that and mm. and you did have to plant us back in reality. Reality, yeah. Um and yeah. you know, I think that's when you use the the expression that I've lifted out as the title line of this speech, which is um that girl was on a rocket to the moon. moon. You know, yeah. And that that got me. It's a beautiful line. Do you remember that? That feeling? Oh, I do. I mean, I chose those words carefully. One, because one of the other things I thought was really funny about Stella, but also moving and really poignant when you think about it, she was so irate that we had such amazing technology that you could go to Moon, but no one had invented a hovercraft for her instead of a wheelchair, right? (laughs) So we actually, the image from her um, funeral was I had an artist paint her in this hovercraft, you know, going off into the air above, into the sky above Melbourne and we had it animated. And when you think about it, I mean, that's funny because I can imagine her hooning around on a hovercraft. But also this, there's an important commentary in that. It's like what do we put our resources into as a society? You know, when you think about it, why, why do we still battle? Why are there people in Australia still battling with manual wheelchairs given the technology that we have available? It's, it's an interesting thing to ponder but I had to, I guess, bring us back to that and, you know, I was pissed off and I kind of needed to convey that. I felt like I felt robbed that she died that young and I knew a lot of the disability community, of course her family felt that, that goes without saying, but I knew as a community figure as well, a lot of people, I don't know if you're, if it's acceptable to express it, but I felt bloody irritated as well, that she was gone. I don't think you hear enough of that in eulogies. Well, it's not fair, you know? It's not bloody fair. It's like, yes, it's sad and that's the main overriding emotion, but I was was angry, (laughs) really angry. Like, I'm, I'm still angry. I'm still angry about it. I should be sitting around, you know, on a summer's day, having a G&T with Stella. And I think according to the fictional timeline, she was Australian of the Year <laughs> last right. year. She would have given it back. And she would have given it back. 
Because Bettina Arndt got one at the same time. <laughs> so there you go. The speech was incorrect. It yes. It didn't have the Bettina well, Arndt. Well, who could anticipate Bettina Arndt and Margaret Court, you know? Like, nah. I don't know if she would have given it back or not. But, yes, in the timeline, she would have moved it. We did a lot of um, political-based gigs together. So she, she had a lot of political views. I wonder if she would have gone into politics. Uh, more likely, more media work. I would say, more commentary than politics. Yeah. But who knows? Well, it's an incredible speech. As, as I, you know, when I said it was one of the two best speeches of 2016, I think it was, um, it, it really has been a personal favourite. Um, it resonates with me on the level of a, a father who's now deeply immersed in the disability world, but also just as someone who loves speeches and, and loves to see one structured as beautifully as that. So. Oh. Thanks well, I thank you very much and um, it's you've just reminded me I must – it's been one of those things that I've been meaning to do but I, we have recordings of her comedy festival show that I've never been able to bring myself to kind of do anything with. I know you would love it. I must get that. I must get to that. Excellent. Well, thanks mm. Thanks so much. And, um, and it's also worth mentioning that Stella is in one of your beautiful – picture books that, that she is yes yeah. she is she's in my kids book some girls and she's on the first page because she loved to dance and it's all worth mentioning that while it's directly after the funeral there was actually like a dance party at fed square and it was broadcast the funeral was broadcast at the big screen at fed square in melbourne as well so yeah she's doing ballet in my kids book some girls because she loved to dance and again even that like how do we see kids represented with disabilities in, in kids' books? They're usually sitting in the corner, being read to. Isn't it wonderful that he's going to school? Yeah. You know, can I tell you one more story? I know we've got to finish, but Stella got given an award at school and her mum marched back up to school and went, what's the award for? And they're like, oh, it's just so great. It's amazing that she's here at school. She said, no, what'd she get it for? <laughs> like, what'd she actually do? made her give the award back. <laughs> and I'm like, this is why she was a badass bitch. You know, this is actually a really important story in that disability story to go, no, 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 do not patronise her yeah. with a participation award because she showed up at grade three. She will achieve stuff. Reward her then. Obviously on a rocket ship to the moon, as she was. Correct, correct. Well, thank you so much, Thanks, Nelly. Tony. As I mentioned at the outset, we are in the second year of the podcast and the sixth year of the Speakola website. And throughout, it has been a labour of love, apart from the support from Green Skin and Purple Skin Avocados, which is much appreciated. But generally, it is not something that brings in revenues and it is something that accrues expenses. The hosting expenses with Squarespace, the podcast hosting expenses as well, the equipment that goes with making the podcast, and that's all apart from the thousands of hours of maintaining and sourcing and responding and and even the radio spots that I do for Speakola on ABC, Canberra and Melbourne with a few over with Jules Schiller in Adelaide as well. Even those are unpaid, so it hasn't been a brilliant career decision. 
uh, although it has been a lot of fun. But I am, however, trying to make a little money now. Lockdown hasn't been kind to many of us, but certainly those of us in the creative arts have found it a struggle. So if you want to help contribute to the running of Speak Ollie, you can make a donation. I've put a donate button up on the front page, and I think probably on most pages of the Speak Ola website. I'll also put one in the link to the show notes for this episode of the podcast. And if you have got a small amount, you can donate, or a large amount. I'm not going to knock any back, but certainly um, any small donation would be a big help. Put me in the basket of creators and media types who are panhandling for help. At the moment, it's a PayPal button. Should it be Patreon? Should there be? Is there another service that works better? I'm not sure. Anyway, well, it's now time for the speech of the week, and it needs little introduction. We've spent nearly an hour talking about it. The date was the 19th of December 2014. The venue was the Melbourne Town Hall. There were around about 1,500 people in attendance. The ABC broadcast the event. And this video is on YouTube. It's absolutely worth checking out. But here's the audio of it. Nellie Thomas with a eulogy for her great friend, Stella Young. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, I had planned by opening um, this speech by saying that Stella would be really surprised to see all this fanfare. But she wouldn't. (laughs) At all. She would totally be loving it. I can just imagine her going, I had to bloody die to get you all to my gig, did I? Uh, A comedian to the end. So, comedians, ladies and gentlemen, giving eulogies. If there's one thing Stella and I agreed on, it's that the principal job of the comedian, like the court jester before us, is to speak the truth. If people laugh, we're lucky. Here goes. I know what I'm supposed to say, that I'm okay and we were lucky to have had her and everyone is special and we're all irreplaceable, but let's be honest, that's crap. (laughs) The truth is I don't feel lucky, I feel robbed. And it's impolite to say, but many humans, if we're honest with ourselves, are pretty unremarkable. There are literally billions of us on the planet. Most of us, dime a dozen. (laughs) But you, my darling Stella, you are one of a kind. Firstly, to Stella's family. I can only say sorry. Your loss is the most devastating. No one can create a human like Stella without being an exceptional family, exceptional parents, exceptional sisters, and I thank you for sharing her with us. Uh, To her friends, what a beautiful, true friend Sella was. The day after her death, my two-year-old looked at me and asked, Where's my Stella? One thing I've realised this week is that we all thought she was our Stella. That's because she loves so large. To her beloved Crip community, I tell you what, she loved you. 
she loved and adored you and spoke about your community like it was a warm blanket that embraced her at every turn. She was yours and you were hers. To her ABC, Channel 31, Melbourne Museum, Comedy Festival, Canadian writer and other friends, we've lost a giant, a pocket-sized giant, <laughs> but one that filled every room she was in, every stage. To the activist communities, disability, education, preventing violence against women, youth, we've lost a foghorn, a true agent of real change. Who else but Stella could cut through the bullshit with a single sentence? On organised religion, I lost faith in God the day I found out there was a stairway to heaven. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> On euthanasia, I'm not interested in talking about dignity and death until we all have dignity in life. Boom. On the apolitical and currently in vogue so-called positive psychology movement, no amount of smiling at a flight of stairs will turn it into a ramp. <laughs> who else but Stella could sit with those, sometimes on national television, who believe that people with disabilities should be grateful because things are pretty good in Australia? <laughs> and who at the extreme end think people with disabilities should not exist. What puny minds, what highly educated, well-read, well-argued, well-researched puny minds. If you can't see the hole the size of Uluru that one little cripple in red high heels and some leather pants has left today, then you cannot see anything worth seeing and you should not be listened to. As many of you know, and Kelly mentioned it before, one of the wonderful things Stella left behind was a letter to her 80-year-old self. If you haven't read it, please do. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm not ready to imagine a world where Stella Young doesn't live to at least 80. So I've chosen to imagine the rest. Go with me. Next year, as planned, we take her debut solo comedy show on a national tour, starting in stall, of course. <laughs> I know we've got some stall people in and ending at the Opera House, you know. <laughs> the entire tour is sold out and her reviews are, are glowing. One idiot describes her as brave, but she just rolls her eyes and says, I'll tell you what's brave, having to deal with dickheads like you. <laughs> at the after party, Stell runs into 17 gay Qantas hosties she met in the trip up. Uh, why 17? No idea. Uh, but when Stella's around, gay men magically reproduce themselves. Um, I like to think of it as a kind of camp compound interest. They take her to a hot new club. It has a fabulous basement, darling, but they don't notice the stairs are a bit of a problem for Stella's. Uh, but don't worry, Stella grabs a lesbian leaving the club. She knows she'll know all the accessible venues within a 100k radius. It's in the handbook. Uh, and they head off to the honeypot. Bryce and Adam are there. They're always there for Stella. 
They have a few drinks, they party well into the morning, and during a particularly vigorous dance session to Wrecking Ball, Stella is midway through a patch with Ruby Rose when she falls out of her chair and breaks a few ribs. <laughs> Wouldn't wear that bloody seatbelt again. Adam and Bryce take her to the hospital moments later. It's imaginary. Uh, a surgeon walks in. He's short, squat, devastatingly handsome. He takes a look at Miss Young and concludes he'll need to see her many, many times again. <laughs> On day three, he proposes marriage. She says, no, but if you'll move to Melbourne, I'll consider dating you. He does. Eventually, he gives up his surgical career and becomes Stella's publicist. You know, does something useful with his life. <laughs> the next year, we take Cryptales to London. Of course, Stella is the toast of the town. One night, I noticed Dawn, one night I noticed Dawn French in the audience, the other, Kim and Kanye. <laughs> Stephen Fry comes a couple of times, but it's when Amy Poehler rocks up to a Saturday matinee that Stella gets really excited. Amy wants to chat to Stella after the show, but the Crip Mafia are forming a crop circle with their chairs around Stella, uh, and no one gets past that shit. <laughs> it's okay. She calls the next day. She wants to set up a US tour for Stella. Jay-Z and Beyonce bankroll it, and um, Stella buys a Rolls and a driver. Uh, by coincidence, the driver's crazy eyes from Orange is the New Black. <laughs> Just cause. Hillary Clinton comes and says if she's ever president, she'll make Stella the disability commissioner of the universe. Um, Stella accepts in advance, of course, but only if she can do an accessibility audit of every building everywhere ever built. And Hillary says, no worries. <laughs> Stella returns to Australia and frankly, she's become a bit up herself. Um, <laughs> The hot surgeon has started to complain about always playing second fiddle and wants her to pull back her career and focus on him. <laughs> she tells him where the nearest accessible exit is. <laughs> Stell goes on to tour nationally and internationally for many years. She makes sitcoms, feature films, she writes books, she becomes a regular on Sesame Street. Uh, in 2020, Stella is announced Australian of the Year. In 2022, she starts a new political party called The Borgen and uh, becomes Australia's first president. By 2035, everyone has seen how well she's done with Australia and she's running the world. <laughs> Carpenters and bricklayers from all the lands rejoice. All public buildings in the world are made accessible. Ba -ba -da -ba -da. If they can't be made accessible, they're knocked down and rebuilt. When some heritage ning-nong argues that old buildings should be kept for history, Stella reminds him that the human right to access is more important than the human right to nostalgia. On that note, uh, all the cobblestones in the world are also crushed up and made into garden gnomes. <laughs> the Paralympics now includes wheelchair synchronised swimming. Everyone, able-bodied or not, has access to hovercraft wheelchairs. Of course, they're solar-powered. Um, Stella believed in radical ideas like a round earth and climate change. <laughs> 
dancing at any opportunity is mandatory. Women with disabilities are no longer the group most at risk of family violence. In fact, there is no family violence. Full gender equality has been achieved. Those very, very few men still caught committing this crime are sent to the gnome factory on Christmas Island to crush the old cobblestones. In a nice twist, all refugees are sent to Stella's beloved South Yarra. Nice swap. Under Stella's presidency, the ideologies of individualism, neoliberalism and conservative die a quick and painless death, along with Dr Phil. These ideologies tell people who face challenges that it is them who is sick rather than the society that they live in. Stella says no. All Australian number plates now say, affirmative action, not affirmations. All mothers and fathers talk to their kids about healthy and equal relationships, like Stell's mum. This happens anywhere, if you know Stell's mum, from Coles, fruit and veg, to just down the street, in the car. You know, Stell, if you did every possible thing you could think of with another person's body, you'd never get everything done. <laughs> I know, mum. Diversity audits are mandatory in all workplaces. Ramp up is reinstated. As is funding for community television, Stella beats Waleed again. <laughs> By the way, if you really want to honour Stella's legacy today, you won't eulogise her endlessly. You'll do something about it. And on that note, I have to say, Stella would be most bemused, amused and confused by some of the people who've eulogised her over the past week. <laughs> With some, she would be downright ticked off. It would be inappropriate for me to name names here, but suffice to say, I'm not going to pine over it. Ironically, ladies and gentlemen, for such a brilliant wordsmith, words were not enough for Stella Young. She demanded action. When you leave here today, do an access audit on your workplace, a diversity audit, a gender audit. How about you start with, can everyone get in the building and build on it from there? And be proud, really. Stella's favourite line was, you get proud by practising. It was tattooed on her arm. If you love Stella, you'll practice pride every single day. The Crips, the Queers, the Mentals, the Fatsos, the Weirdos, the Refos, the Blacks, the Browns, the Pink and Purple Polka Dotted. Pride takes practice, especially if you're on the margins. Practice it daily. By the time Stella dies at 85, she's our most famous Australian ever. She leaves the world a better, brighter, fairer and far more beautiful place. And by the way, if you think I'm joking about the most famous Australian part ever, you're wrong. That girl was on a rocket to the moon. She was going there very fast. 
and I have absolutely no doubt that she was about to explode globally. In the truest sense of the word, she actually was special. I know, piss off, Nalzies. <laughs> Stell, wherever you are, I'll always try and think of you on that rocket. Charging around, abusing people who move too frickin' slow, ramming into their ankles accidentally. <laughs> My darling Stella, you were out of this world. I just so wish you were still in it. Thank you. That's it. What a speech and what an episode. Nellie Thomas, thank you so much. I loved speaking to you. I love speaking to you twice, both before Christmas and after. You're going to be the last episode of 2020. Thanks to a broken SD card, you are the first episode of 2021 and it was an absolute gem. Thank you. Thanks to the ABC for the audio of the speech and to Ted for the audio of the I Am Not Your Inspiration speech. Thank you to our sponsors, Green Skin and Purple Skin Avocados. Check out their glorious elongated orbs at greenskinavocados.com.au and do get in touch if you want to be a another supporter of the podcast we have room for two we've decided so if you'd like to sponsor tony at tonywilson.com.au nelly thomas is an mc and you can book her at nellythomas.com once we are all able to mc things again you can also book me similarly but get nelly at least for this episode i'll i'll plumb for me at the next episode that's it for this episode i've loved it and i look forward to the next one see you then Thank you.